Welcome everyone to the ninth episode, as I record this, on the hundredth day of lockdown. Yep, we're still living in a film. So, this week I speak to Peter Cranfield, or Cutthroat Pete as he is known to many, one of the pioneers of the new wave of barbering, offering some of the best hospitality there is in the chair. He's an influential figure for barbering in the UK and we get a good insight into his world, including fashion, photography, lockdown life to travelling across the world cutting hair. Refreshingly, Pete is a really easy and open guy to talk to. Well, that always helps on a podcast, especially in his past experience with mental health. And we share some interesting stories and we actually have quite a bit in common. So I hope you enjoy this one. It's time to get in the chair and in the weeds with CTP. Enjoy. Hi guys, welcome back to In The Weeds podcast. We're on episode nine, which I believe after reading is the average episode where people who start a podcast stop doing it. So so it's kind of, this is the uh, the ultimate episode. So hopefully it's a good one, but we're planning on more. So tonight, uh, as I said in the intro, we've got Pete Cranfield, or as you might know him better, Cutthroat Pete, probably one of those famous faces in Liverpool on the, the barber scene. Uh, great to have you on, Pete. Um, how are you doing tonight? Absolute um, pleasure to be on your ninth episode, mate. I didn't, didn't realise that about, uh, about it being a bit of a milestone. So, yeah, re- real pleasure to be on your ninth <laughs> episode. Um, but, yeah, I'm doing really good. Um, enjoying lockdown, to be honest. I uh, had a baby at the end of March, so i uh, just been getting loads of time, spending loads of time with him. And, yeah, uh, great news that, Obviously, we've been allowed to open again, which is which is incredible. Something I've been waiting for for you know the last three months. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really exciting. Good, good. So a lot going on, mate. A lot going on. Yeah. So yeah. Do, let's let's just tell the audience before we get into it. You know, the story of of where you've got where you are today, and and the passion behind great brand, and 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 you are a massive following on Instagram as well now, haven't you? So. In in a, in short, um, I started barbering when I was seventeen. Um, yeah. I wanted to be a barber when I was in school. I uh, funny little story actually. Nick, your business partner, his mum was my teacher in Saint Margaret's. In school. <laughs> oh yeah. And uh, I, t- I told her I wanted to go to the barber shop for my work experience, and she laughed at me and she was like, "You just want to go to the barber shop because it'll be an easy two weeks." She was like, "You're at the time I was really into sport. I was I was doing athletics." Uh, it's quite a uh, high standard. And she was like, no, you need to do something to do with sport. Um, you know, you don't want to be going to the barbershop. Uh, uh-huh. That'll be a waste of your time and all that. So it's uh-huh. kind of a funny little story that she she tried to put me off and uh, she succeeded. That, you know, I went to like an outdoor pursuit centre for my work experience. But um, yeah, I ended up, you know, being a barber and uh, building my brand, my barbering brand and, um, you know, doing, doing okay from it. So we yeah, started when I was 17. Um, Started in a, a normal barbershop, took a took an apprenticeship, um, and then just kind of, I always had the vision in my head that I wanted to be in a certain position in barbering. I wanted to be doing, you know, a, a smaller clientele. I wanted to be travelling, um, and my granddad was always a, a, one of these people that would really push it in the right direction. And um, if, if I had an idea, whether it be athletics, you know, where um, life, he'd, he'd always get hundred percent behind me. And, Give me that push so um 
you know, when I talk, when I was talking to him about it, he was like, you know, go for it. It's it's a great career, great job. Um, and then fast forward, you know, uh, about six years, I think it was after I started, they opened me first shop, and um, he got right behind me with that. You know, give me a little bit of money to to help me out to open up, and um, and then yeah, I say that was I opened my first shop when I was 23, 24, um, in Chilwell. And then around that time, when I was in that shop with my brother, yeah, I just I still had this vision where I wanted to be, and I joined Twitter, and I was trying to think of a Twitter name, and uh, I was talking to Jen about it, and thinking, oh, you know, we need, need a cool name for Twitter, and I uh, came up with Cutthroat Pete, so that was my Twitter name, and then right, just right. kind of grew from there really, and you know, it became a little brand. I started doing T-shirts with Cutthroat Pete on, and. Um, yeah, look, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a few really well-known clients, so they were kind of pushing that side of it for me, wearing the t-shirts and uh, recommending me to their, you know, their workmates and stuff. And yeah, just kind of grew from there. And then I moved into Liverpool, into the city centre, and it just exploded. Everything just went went a bit crazy, and uh, I was finding it hard for a while to to kind of keep me vision on what I was doing. I was. I was one of these people that was saying yes to everything because I thought it would be the best thing for me to get my brand out there. Yeah. Um, I've been in I've been in the city centre now for six years. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's it's exactly where I, I wanted it to be, and um, the brand and you know the shops and everything everything's where I wanted it to be at this point. So I just feel really grateful and uh, yeah, happy happy that it's nice. it's gone the way it has to be. Honest. Touch on it quite a bit now of different sectors merging together. So like yeah yeah. Hospit- it's a form of hospitality, you know, if, if you think about it. And do you think do you think it's changed over the last few years? Well, it's 100%, like you're saying, it's merged massively. I know there's loads of barbershops now that have got, you know, bars inside. Or mm. um, there's a fella I mentioned to you and John a while back, I think he, I got onto him through Grand Designs, um, built his own amazing house, but he's just opened a place in Leamington Spa, I think. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's got a barbershop inside his, um, inside his, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like a hub, you know, where there's food places, there's a bar. Yeah. And yeah, he's got a barbershop inside there. And it, it does, it works really well. Like I had a tattooist working with me in my shop for a while, you know, and it's good. I think it's really good to merge different businesses together. And to be honest, mate, at some point, I think it'd be, I've said it to John a few times, I think it'd be amazing, you know, to for us to do something together, you know, yeah. I, I just like something really small and, like a, a cool little place, I think it'd really work because, yeah, man. Um, yeah, I, I just obviously you guys do the the hospitality thing amazingly well. You know your bars and your restaurants and stuff. Um, and I, you know, I like to see, I like to think of my barber inside of stuff that you know is quite high end and we offer a great service. So, yeah, two two businesses like that can definitely work really well. Yeah, man. There's a there's a bar in New York called the Blind Barber. Have you been? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. That'd be uh, something like that would be brilliant. Be, uh, it's incredible. That's a great bar. Yeah. When when I first joined social media, um, I just searched barbers and barbershops, and the Blind Barber was, I think, the first barbershop I followed on Twitter. Oh yeah. And I reached reached out to them um, ten years ago and said, you know, your place is incredible. It's, it's <laughs> like a dream. It's like a dream. Yeah. And uh, I think it was last time, no, time before last when I was in New York, um, Jen booked me in for a haircut and a beard trim there. And, yeah, uh, I went and had, went and had my hair up by one of the lads, and um, I had a little drink when I was in there. And, yeah, it's an incredible place that. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? We we yeah. um, last time I went in there, there's like a bookshelf in there. We left there like a note 
And, oh, yeah. and about like two hundred dollars between like ten ten people in, in there. So next time, really? you, next time you go, I can't remember what the book was. It was a huge book sale, but um, yeah. next time you're there, have a look because it's probably still there. <laughs> There's a big note about it. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that's amazing. That, that yeah, yeah, that's a really um, one of my favorite bars. That actually, and yeah, yeah. do you feel as well that it's merged with the fashion? And and you, I know you're really into photography as well, aren't you? It's mad because when I first started as a barber, I really wanted to get into doing fashion stuff. Um, but barbers back then were just barbers. They worked in barber shops and, they, you know, there was no, there was short back and sides and, you know, the basic men's grooming and that was it. Um, all the fashion stuff was done by ladies' hairdressers or women's hairdressers or, you know, hairdressers rather than barbers. But in the past 10, 15 years, um, I've worked on a few fashion, sh- like shoots, campaigns, um, I know now, I know quite a few barbers that um, that work behind the scenes on, you know, London Fashion Week and Paris, New York Fashion Week. So I think um, these these labels have realised that, you know, to to get a real great looking men's haircut, yeah, it's a good idea to use a men's hairdresser or a barber, you know. So, yeah, fa- it's it's fashion and barbering has, has become a lot closer than it was, I'd say, years ago. And plus, you know, so many barbers themselves are into fashion. They're interested in fashion. I am myself. Yeah. Um. I really, I really enjoy fashion. I like reading about it, looking at it, and as you say, photographing. You know, um, photography and barbering is is a massive thing because the this in this time you need to be able to promote your work. You need, you know, the world to see your work, and it's it's fine. I, I know some people who take amazing pictures on an iPhone of the haircut. Um, but you can always tell that someone that's, you know, taking the client out of the chair and taking them to maybe outside the shop or, yeah. you know, it looks like it's a proper little shoot and taken on a camera and that work always looks like, you know, someone's gone above and beyond. And uh, yeah, as I say, you know, it's getting your world, it's getting your work out there to the world and it's it's a big part of the job now. It's not just cutting someone's hair. You've got to get, you've got to get, a, you know, a couple of pictures a week and put them on your social media and, do you cut much? Do you cut much longer hair now. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that that was another thing. So like back when I started, a, f- a few of my friends had longer hair, and and they'd say to me, you know, can you cut long hair? And I'd be <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And long hair was always something that I loved. I always wanted long hair, and tried so many times to grow it. And until this time, I, I've never got it past like just over my ears. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I've I've got a, a good few clients that have been my clients for you know 10, 12, 15 years. Um, but I've got longer hair. And I think men now who have got longer hair feel more comfortable going to, you know, a, a men's salon or a barber shop or, you know, a, a men's hairdresser because barbers have kind of shifted from just being barbers to to men's hairdressers now. So um, you know, if if you find someone that's passionate about the job, then they'll they will have definitely taken the time to to learn men's hairdressing. And yeah. not just banging out short back and sides all day, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it it just keeps the job more enjoyable as well. You know, I, I'd rather do three long hair and three short hair a day rather than you know six short back and sides any day. Yeah, um, I, I love long hair. I think it's amazing, <laughs> and uh, I think I think the good thing about men with long hair is I've been speaking about this recently to a few people, and it's like. Um, you feel like you're part of a club, I think, because it's a big achievement, isn't it? You know, <laughs> for a man to go his hair out, it's not like um, 
I don't know. It's not like an easy thing to do. You'd have to go through some weird stages. Oh yeah, that's why I'm like look. this now. <laughs> like, yours looks cool, but um, yeah, you know, you'd have to go through some weird stages, and it's it's not an easy thing. So I feel like uh, <laughs> I see you've got like a blog on it as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, Anyone check that, that out? That's the good thing. That people, you know, people come to me and say reading your blog has really helped me grow my hair out, and I think so, especially after lockdown. There's going to be loads more men who haven't had a haircut for three months and are maybe deciding on having a proper go at growing. Yeah, you're going to be you're going to be busy for a while. Thoughts wouldn't grow it long for a while, and I've start, like you say, then because I've, I've been to lockdown, I'm like, ah, oh, don't think I want to get a cut. Might have to, might have to trust me again in the chair. Might have to, might, yeah, might have to get it. Yeah, <laughs> might have to. But um, I got I got too many. I got the greys coming through here as well. So the uh, the longer it gets, the more grey comes out. But you know, it is what it is. I don't think you can beat a few guys, mate. I think that's a nice, uh, it's always a nice touch. I'm, I've got a few myself coming through and I'm I'm really proud yeah. of them. I keep pointing them out to Jen saying, oh, there's another one. Uh, yeah, but, uh, now you're a father, mate. You're going to get more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty certain that in the past 12 weeks, my beard's gone white on the sides and uh, that wasn't there 12 weeks ago. <laughs> so so yeah. have you become a father in lockdown? Yeah, or, um, li- yeah. literally the 23rd, 23rd of, uh, 26th of March he was born. Wow. And my last day in work was the 23rd, and we got told we had to lock down then. So three days after I stopped working, he was born, and I spent every day with him for the past three months. So it's going to be really weird going back to work and, oh, yeah. um, and, and just not having him around. So, yeah, but it's, it's been amazing. You know, I keep saying to everybody, I never, ever would have got this time, um, you know, to spend with him in, in any other normal time. So... That's my positive that I'm taking from from isolation and lockdown. The fact that you know I've had three solid months with him and it's been amazing. Yeah, it's unbiable. That. That's yeah, that, yeah. That's amazing, and it, and he's yeah. all good, all healthy. Oh, mate, he's incredible. Yeah, he's uh, obviously everyone says it about the kid, but like he's just I, I couldn't wish for anything better, mate. He's uh, just feel dead lucky to be honest. Do you, he's, uh, do you feel changed already? Yeah, I, I do. I'm. It's a strange one because before we had him, I was saying to Jen, like, we're 35, we're both 35, and we always were kind of running an hour and the fact about having having a, a kid, a baby, but we kind of got to this age and we were like, yeah, you know, it feels like the right thing to do. We've done some cool stuff up to now in our life and we just feel like it's time to have a baby. Um, and one of the things I was always adamant about that was that I didn't want to become a, a typical dad, you know, like a, I didn't want to become a dad. I wanted to still be myself. Yeah, I didn't want to change massively, but um, I, I feel like I haven't changed in, in any bad ways. I just feel like my outlook's changed. So yeah, now, yeah. you know, like, like a lot of parents have said to me in the past, you just kind of everything just revolves around them, and you just want the best for them. And and you know, all my future thoughts and plans now are kind of thinking, well, I want I want this to be good for him, you know. And uh, yeah, it, it's changed me in that way, which I think it's a good thing to be fair. Yeah, man. And you know, just going back, do you, do you travel much? Do you have any private clients that you travel to? Yeah. So um, just before lockdown in February, I was in Dubai, and one of my clients flew me over there. So I was over in Dubai for four days, and then yeah, I go, I probably go to abroad maybe four or five times a year. Yeah. Um, and it's clients from over here that'll take me with them abroad. Um, but then, like around the country, I probably go to London five four or five times a month maybe um, yeah. once a week something like that to go and see clients down there um, and then I'm on the road 
pretty much one day a week I'll spend out and about on the road driving around seeing seeing people and that can be as far as you know Newcastle or Birmingham wherever um, so yeah it's it's I'm constantly on the go um, but t- to be honest today I've spent the whole day reschedule redoing my my um, work schedule just so that I still want to get a bit of time you know I don't I don't want to spend three months with with Jen and River and then just go missing so yeah, I yeah. kind of scheduled it so that I still get a few days at home do you see you always having like a salon? Because I know quite a few people that end up where if they have got any high profile clients, that's it. They end up just moving around with them. Or would you always want a base? Uh, do you know what? It, it, at oh. the moment, I kind of moved out to my barbershop where I was in town. Mm. I've left that, that go and that's still there. Um, and I've moved into like a little studio space where I work from. So it's great because, say, for instance, a Wednesday, someone says, come down to London. I can I can go down and I can work for the day, but then I can come back and see my clients in my studio, um, and it doesn't mean me closing a shop front. Whereas when I was in town, I was still doing them jobs, but I was having to close the shop, and it, you know it's not the best thing having a shop in town that's it's closed quite a bit. So um, yeah, I can see me always keeping me my studio space on because it's like you know it's like an office space as well. I, I do me my office work there, I do me podcasting bits there, I do me photography there. So it's it's kind of like a little base where. I just do everything that I yeah, do yeah. from there. Um, yeah, that's cool. Obviously, we, you know, you're on a food and drink podcast here. Where, <laughs> where, where do you, where do you like getting around to? To be honest, when I when I travel with work, it's totally different than when I travel with Jen or on my own because I'm I'm eating and drinking in places where my clients my clients you know pick and choose. So, mm. um, I, I was in I went to Mykonos and Ibiza last year. For, spent a bit of time into them places and the food and drink over there was incredible it was amazing but it wasn't the kind of stuff I'd have picked we went to the likes of um, uh, Hakkasan and you know places like yeah, that yeah. Um, so they're really like high end you know nice places but I, I when I go to somewhere I really like trying the local cuisine and you know trying what's what the locals are making and what's uh, like prevalent in that area so um, yeah I, I kind of I'm missing going on holiday um, with Jen and just doing that to be honest you know I, I love Portugal and I love trying I love their you know their food over there and um, Ibiza I really enjoyed Ibiza because I like the way it's got that like independent like hippie vibe to it you can, you, mm-hmm. can, you can just go and find like a little you know Spanish place that'll do some nice Spanish food and um, around, and all the madness is going on around you yeah um, but yeah, New York. New York is one of my biggest places that I, I go and I love the food over there. Like you said before, they just do they just do everything well, don't they? So yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, I'm, big, I'm big on America. I enjoy America. Yeah. Um, but then yeah, over here, I'm you know I'm missing I'm missing your places, mate. To be yeah, me and Gemma talking about it the other day. We went we came to a uh, Bald Street on on a was it Father's Day or day before Father's Day. And um, we were saying, ah, oh, wish Slims was open. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just made of the Slims right now. Uh, you like you, you like your uh, your American food. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah man. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers fingers crossed. You do quite a lot of the footballers, don't you? Hair wise now. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was a bit of a weird one. So it was basically one of the Everton youth players back when I was working in Chilwell. Um, he, he put a tweet out saying anyone recommend a barber and obviously a lot of my customers tweeted him back tweeted him saying yeah go try Pete yeah. Um, so he, he came to me and then 
I still cut his hair now. He's a great lad. Um, yeah. He doesn't play anymore. Actually, he's he's a uh, he's a scout at Fleetwood now. But he um, yeah, he went back to to Everton and told all the lads, and I, I got a good few of them. And I start, mm-hmm. it was mad because I started cutting the hair when they were like they were sixteen, seventeen then, yeah. and now they've gone on to be you know like full England internationals and. Um, Ross Barkley, obviously one of them. He, yeah. you know, he's, he was the one who went to Dubai with him. He, I travelled around quite a lot with him. Um, and yeah, it's just incredible how, how like we were just saying then, you know, yeah. word of mouth and um, people just mentioning that they trust, they've trusted you and you, you know, you've you've come across with, you know, with the goods and the, and yet the next thing, you know, you can just kind of blow up and it can go crazy. So you do quite a lot. You're Evertonian yourself, though, aren't you, as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big Evertonian. I've been since it was. Well, I was born. I was born that way, and uh, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> surreal for me now. I, I was, uh, I was talking to one of the Everton lads the other day, and he was saying to me, I, "I've known him for ages," and he was like, oh, "I never knew Duncan Ferguson was a hero." He said, uh, "Like that—that's mad." Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, I could get him to come and see you whenever. And I was thinking, "Wow, that's crazy!" Because back when I was a kid, I used to think, "What do these footballers do?" Like, yeah, you know, what would it be like to meet one and? Now I'm obviously, you know, I go to the houses and I go away with them. And, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 strange to think how um, how it's happened, but I guess as you get older and you know you kind of um, I don't know your mind broadens a bit slightly and you you, you realise that they're just like you at the end of the day and they're you know the the great lads. So yeah, of course. Mad. I mean, it's again, it's how our society's set up, isn't it? To yeah. create barriers, whereas you know what I would say they actually get involved and come into town and actually, you know, oh, yeah. get involved with independence, which 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 you don't yeah. usually see. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's refreshing to see because that's what it should be like. And that's how it used to be, you know what I mean? Mingling yeah. and, and creating yeah. that barrier. Because I think that that's a problem in football now as well. I, I, you know, the more, that, the more money that's involved, the more the, the barriers will be put in the way about that. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, like, like you say, that's not necessarily the people... Who were, who were doing the sports fault. So at the end of the no, day, no, no. it's not their fault where they get paid. So it should be it shouldn't be a, shouldn't be an issue and shouldn't be any sort of jealousy between anyone. And to, to have a to have a brand, you know, to have a business and a brand like myself who who they trust my brand, you know, they come and get the haircut by me. It's the same for you. You know, they they come into your coffee shop, they mm. sit down have coffee in your place and you know they feel comfortable to to be in your environment. It's a, it's important. I don't like the celebrity culture that there is. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, yeah, like yeah. everyone's the same. I think treating people as you treat yourself and that, you know, not, not feeling you're bigger than anyone else yeah. is, is, is huge. And if everyone, yeah. if everyone did that, um, well, there'd be a better place. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and 100%. It just, yeah, it doesn't need to be. You can always, obviously have respect for people and what they do for sure. Do you know yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you say, the humanity aspect of it, we're all we're all the same. And yeah, definitely. Even in conversations, you just you, you realise there's a there's a lot of, a lot in common. I obviously get that, you know, with, with my work. I, that's massive part of my job is is talking to people, and you know, you can you can uh, you can mention something, and it just allows someone to open up. And next thing you know, you've got you know you've got stuff in common with someone. You've got the same interest or. Um, that that happens to me a lot, which which is amazing, you know. One thing you know, I would want to touch on was obviously you're quite outspoken about mental health, and um, you, you, I was listening. You've got a podcast 
called In The Chair, which is on Apple yeah, Podcasts yeah. for anyone wants to listen. And obviously I was listening to episode six, which regarding mental health awareness, I was just, yeah. I found it really interesting and like having spoken to people throughout this series myself, how yeah, yeah. it leads on to mental health, especially being in the lockdown period and how kind of people it's affected different people and what kind of affects them and, and what, what their remedy is as well. So a lot of it yeah. has been like the outdoors, getting into yeah. the countryside, spending time with family, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. this, the, but there's always trends to it. And what I found interesting you were saying is you were like agoraphobic when you were yeah. younger. About the agoraphobia thing. So that was a weird one. When I moved into town, when I opened my shop in town, sorry, um, yeah. leading up to that point, I, I hadn't had any anxiety issues or anything for, for a good couple of years. And then I moved into town and six months maybe after I opened, um, maybe a year after I opened, um, I started getting anxiety attacks and feeling anxious quite a bit. And then it got to the point where that was when the agoraphobia kicked in and I felt safe at home and I felt safe at the shop. But like going off for my lunch or um, even just like walking where my shop is, walking around to Tesco, it'd be such a, it was like a surreal experience. And looking back now, it's, I don't know how it came on me and I don't know how it went. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to walk around the corner to Tesco or I think one time I walked around to Bold Street with um, with the tattoo lad who was working in my shop at the time and uh, I felt a bit panicky. I, I had like a panic attack feeling coming on and I felt all disorientated and weird and I, I don't know whether that was what kicked off the agoraphobia because I kind of just felt that that could happen again. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was a weird one because lockdown happened and it just the way my mind worked straight away, I thought to myself, how is this going to affect me, you know, mentally? Um, yeah. And to be honest, it's it was a weird one because I said to Jen, probably six weeks into, into lockdown, um, you know what, I haven't, I haven't had an anxious thought or an anxious feeling for six weeks. It was weird. And normally, even when, you know, I'm going through a good spell and I, I feel great, There'll be twice a week at least where I'll I'll feel a little bit anxious or I'll think about it. But as I say, I went through six the first six solid weeks and didn't feel a thing. And then kind of started thinking about when I was going to be allowed back to work and um, what was going to happen when we could go back to work. And then I was worrying about the business a little bit, like you know paying the rent and mm. um, about the staff. And I I just started kind of spiraling into worrying a little bit. But then you know. My, my thing to sort that out was everyone's in the same position. It's not just me. Um, you know, everyone everyone who owns a business, everyone who works, everyone was in the same boat. And I kind of leveled myself out by just thinking in that way. And yeah, for, you know, after that first six weeks of no anxiety at all, I've had little pangs now and again, just because I think when I think about work, it is mainly just because um, I kind of don't like things that are unknown. So I like to have a plan or I like to, you know, know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the thought of not knowing, you know, when I could get back to work was kind of making me feel a little bit anxious. Yeah, agoraphobia wise, it like I've been out, I've been trying to get out the house every day, um, whether it be for a walk or, um, you know, we were allowed an hour's exercise. We were, me and Jen would go out for a little drive, even if it was a, a rainy day, or we, we got out the house every day just to stop us feeling like we were hemmed in, you know? Yeah. I, I think many people have felt the same. 
When I was in my twenties, yeah, I used to. Yeah. I went through the stage of getting like panic attacks while I was driving, and right. I, I don't know what it was. Yeah, yeah. And uh, generally, I had to stop sometimes, lie in the back. It happened once, and then it kept happening again. So it kind of, um, it felt like I was going to die. It was that bad. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. don't know if anyone's ever like listening or whatever. Like having a panic attack, it, it can feel like you're having a heart attack. Oh, it's, it's the worst it, thing in the world. It's horrendous. You, know, you don't know what's going on. And you think, oh, I was all right oh. a minute ago. What's going on? And I only, like, it happened, I don't know, over like a certain period, but I couldn't, um, i get to a point and it, all the road had started on like that and I'd have to pull over. It was mad, you know. And I, I, the yeah. more it happened, I kind of, it just started overthinking stuff. And um, yeah. it, it, it's mad, but I didn't really talk about it. And then uh, it's only really like you kind of, realize that it's not it's quite a normal thing if it, it, but if you're not gonna if you keep keep it bottled up kind of just manifested into like a problem you know what i mean That's and it, it. i eventually yeah, yeah. got rid of it on my own and then i remember speaking to my dad who you think he's you know really strong man and stuff like that and when he was younger he we used to work for dunlop and he was saying oh, like, yeah, yeah. he got in like a decent role where you'd go and see like directors and meetings and stuff like that and he he, he, yeah. could, he got to a point where he couldn't go t- into meetings or have a have a lunch with anyone and use a oh, knife right. fork because he'd, he'd get just like completely oh. go to pot so he couldn't eat yeah, in front yeah. of people so he'd avoid going to meetings where there was any drink or food because and then that became a problem you know what i mean yeah 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 but then, like, you start, like, you're speaking to other people and you, you realise that loads of people have these issues. Like you said then, the, the mad thing is, and I've noticed a, a massive trend, like, a massive, um, when I say a trend, I mean, I've noticed a trend in how things happen. And the weird thing is, it can be one specific thing. So just before your first ever panic attack, something could have triggered your mind to, to feel panicked at that one stage. Mm-hmm. And you don't know that it's that that's caused the panic attack. So then... After afterwards, you're thinking, well, you don't know what caused it. So, is it because you're ill? Is it because you've got, you know, something wrong in your head, or you know, your you, your heart's dodgy, and um, it can then your mind starts working over time, just thinking, well, what is the matter with me? Um, and the last the last session of therapy I did, I did something called ERT, which is called which is emotional release therapy. Yeah. And we kind of learned that when I was a kid, I um, I scolded myself. And I had to have a big skin graft on the top of my arm. And when I was in hospital, um, they had to strap me to the bed because if I rolled over in the night, it would have disturbed this fresh skin graft. It was I'd done about three months worth of therapy and I'd never told the woman this because it never popped into my mind. And then she just kind of started doing this emotional release therapy with me. And we went back to when I was four or five, whenever that happened. And I told her about me burning my arm and like being in hospital strapped to the bed. And she was like, oh my God, this is like a breakthrough um, thing in your in your mind. Because she was like, from the ages of, you know, birth to five or six, that's when your mind takes on so much stuff. And a lot of it is just stored there. And, you know, you learn things and you don't consciously think about it, but it's stored there. And she was saying to me that the fact that, you know, I might have woke up being strapped to the bed and thought shit I can't move or you know and because I get claustrophobic as well if I use lifts or if I'm in confined spaces where I can't lift my arms like out I feel really claustrophobic and she was saying that will all stem back to me being you know a, a four or five year old kid um, strapped to a hospital bed um, and 
a lot of my anxiety stems from being trapped, being stuck in one place. So, um, you know, now I work shorter days because if I had to spend eight hours in a shop, in a barber shop or anything like that, if I'm in the same place for a long time, that makes me feel anxious. And she was saying again, that all stems back to me, you know, feeling tied down to this bed um, when I was a kid. So it's it's amazing if you do get to speak to people mm. about you know about your problem about your anxiety or panic attacks or anything. It's amazing what you can learn about yourself, um, and then in turn, you know, you can you can help yourself so much just from from knowing what's triggering them feelings. Yeah, did that? Did I mean? I think there's a stigma, or there was a stigma about going to see people and talking to them. Was kind of like, oh no, you shouldn't do that. You're sitting wrong. Yeah. Where's that? That's changed. I mean, I've done it myself. Do you know what I mean? And and I think yeah, yeah. it's um it definitely benefits you from just talking. Absolutely. When I like when I had meningitis when I was 16, they just booted me out of hospital at the end of it. No way. No counseling, nothing. It's only recently where I, I started doing a bit of charity work for it. Because always when people talk about it, I'm like, oh, no, 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 you know, just blow it off. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I'm doing that for a reason. I don't really want to go back to where it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. i talking about it more. It's kind of opened up. Well, actually, that, that has really affected some of a lot of my decisions that I make and how I yeah, yeah. look at life. Because, like, yeah. you know, a mass part of it was, like, from that, I don't believe in anything after life now because yeah, yeah. the darkness, I was, like, out. Do you know what I mean? But then... yeah. That was like 20 years ago, whereas like they just, whereas now you probably go straight to a counsellor after, before you leave the hospital. Whereas like, yeah, yeah. people are like that and trauma like that, you just, oh yeah, no, because at the time now, you just get on with it. That, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. the vibe, isn't it? When that's yeah. probably going to cause you damage. Well, I'd, I'd say damage, but it's going to cause behaviour, yeah, yeah, behaviour yeah. For, for years. Yeah, you, you'll you'll find you know you could avoid things or mm. yeah things can trigger you to feel a certain way just from from what happened then kind of. I, I think things are going in the right direction. I don't like even just talking like this. Um, yeah, I find it quite comfortable talking about it, and I, I think people yeah, like, yeah. like hearing about it. I just think it was it's definitely moving the right way. Things like we were saying about November and stuff like that, especially for men. Um, yeah. It plays a big one. I think men definitely have a bigger issue talking about things than women. <laughs> um, uh, but that that needs to change because obviously you see how many male suicides there are. It's uh, scary. It, it is, isn't it? And I, the, the, the first time I did something like uh, the first time I I did speak out about it and just you know just put put it on social media, the the response from it. I, I didn't do it for a response. I did it because. I knew I knew a million percent that there was be, there would be five other at least five other men out there that felt exactly the same as I did, and at the time when I felt the worst, I felt like there was no way out, and I felt like I felt like nobody else felt like that. But then when I kind of got my head together and like I, I went through my therapy and stuff, I thought if I speak out about it, I, I'm hoping at least you know five, ten other men will will listen to my experience and not feel like they're the only one that's going through it. And honestly, the, the amount of men that contacted me and were saying, like, this is incredible. I, I've felt like this for five years and I've avoided going to the shops. I've avoided going for drinks with friends. I've avoided this. I've avoided that because I thought that was the trigger to, to my anxiety. And 
the amount yeah the amount of people that reached out and you know said that it had kind of helped them was just incredible and for me um there's never personally there's never been a massive stigma around mental health because it's my dad kind of retired from work because of um depression and stuff he had to retire early and um so in our in our house it was always kind of spoken about and it was nothing to be embarrassed about and it was always something that you know we, we weren't embarrassed to talk about it like um, we, me and my brothers were old enough to to understand what my dad was going through. You know, we were old enough to learn about that. And my mum and dad are like really cool like that anyway. They, you know, they're open. They'll speak about anything with us. Um, so yeah, as I say, in our house, we grew up for it not to be an embarrassing thing. You know, it wasn't something that you swept under the carpet. It was something that if you spoke about it, it would make you feel better. Um, and as I say, being in a really fortunate position to to stand behind a chair and talk to my clients for like an hour at a time. Um, people would open up to me because obviously they, you know, they knew I was open about it and I was cool with it. And like you say, you know, the, the amount of men that don't feel like they can talk to anyone else it is massive. It's, it's a massive amount. Yet the amount of people that I've, I've spoke to clients-wise that, are, you know, I've kind of advised to go and get some help or, you know, do some therapy or, um, it, it's amazing, and like like you mentioned, you know, it's it needs to be it needs to be easier for men to talk about it. Definitely. Yeah. Do, do you find people that open up to you in the chair as well? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, you know, a lot of when I was doing my therapy, I spoke to my therapist about it, and I said to her, you know, a lot of the time my clients will will tell me all kinds of, you know, I I know probably stuff about some of my clients that their wives or you know best mates don't even know um and that's that's amazing that for me that is like such a, a massive achievement that's that's better for me than you know giving someone a good haircut because i know once then people have unloaded what they've got on their mind and they leave the shop you know they, they'll feel like they can skip out because they've kind of they've unloaded and they've, they're not carrying that burden around with them anymore um and what what my therapist said to me was she said that I needed to be careful just so that I'm not taking on there because I'm not a trained therapist. I just need to be careful that I'm not taking on their worries. Um, so I, I did a bit of reading around, you know, a bit more into um, psychology and mental health after that, just to kind of, what she taught me to do was she taught me to put up like a bubble. So she said, yeah. imagine, you're in a, imagine you've got a bubble around you. She said, make sure you're listening to them, make sure you're answering them. But as soon as that session, as soon as that client's finished, forget about everything then you know try forget about it don't don't take their worries home with you and sit and think about it at night because you know it'll just drive you crazy yeah that's... Um, and i feel like that was a massive thing for her to tell for her to teach me because now i don't feel like you know i do sit there and worry about other people whereas i, I really did used to i used to come home and think oh shit i hope so and so is okay or you know i hope his uh, his operation goes all right or you know i'd be, I'd be really genuinely worrying about people Whereas I still care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still care about people, but it's just uh, yeah, it's just now I don't sit there and let the things fester in my mind. Uh, yeah. just because I know it's not good for me. No, for sure. My, my partner actually is training to to do psychology and she's been doing mental health courses about it. Amazing. And you kinda been looking at some of the stuff like you've been saying there about how the behavioural stuff and it's just yeah. it is really interesting. But you can see like it, it it isn't just talking to people, is it? It because like there's a there's a they've got to k- kind of 
keep that barrier themselves. Otherwise, yeah. you'd end up, you know, if you took everyone's worry home, you wouldn't last long, would you? I think. No, no. Um, it's a it's a real skill. Yeah, hundred uh, percent, definitely. But 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 still, good that people can come and get their cotton. Loads, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it must yeah. be. That's that's cool. That though, I think I think that's that's how it should be. You know what I mean? It's that familiarity which you're gonna get from from someone like yourself, man. That's that's cool. That's something to be proud yeah. of. Like you were saying before, would I ever kind of give up the shop, or would I ever just solely work out on the road and stuff? Being in the shop in that environment. I enjoy it. I, I like knowing that, you know, my clients can come and sit down for an hour and, and talk to me and, you know, let me know how the kids are doing or how the relationship is or, you know, they can come and tell me anything. And as I say, now I've learned how to how to um, take that on board and then deal with it. I feel so much better about it. And and like like you say, you know, I feel like it's a massive, a massive thing to be proud of. The, um, and I enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's the yeah. part of the job I do enjoy, yeah. Going back to the fatherhood thing, that's it. that kind of changed my mentality a lot in what I actually worry about. Not sense care about. Um, I think that's the wrong way, but um, yeah. I think put things in, into another perspective. Um, yeah, yeah. But it's definitely changed me to be calmer. Uh, not not so much when they're running riots in, yeah. <laughs> in the house for, for three months. But... Um, I don't know, it just kind of makes you stop and think. I mean, I'd be uh, trying to, we try and take a bit of time out to meditate a little bit. That's kind of my Yeah, I'm I'm massive on that, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of almost put things back in order of, you know, and you know, like sometimes when in in the day where you like see a piece of news and be like, man, I've got it, I've got it good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I need to, and it stops and makes you think. Where yeah, I feel yeah. like meditation can kind of, if you just take 10 minutes out and, and put that puts that in perspective for Definitely. for the day almost. Yeah, yeah. Talking about kid, like kids and how that changes things, one of the main things I've noticed, um, I was thinking about therapy and it, the way it's affected me positive, positively is the fact that I find anxiety um, one of the main causes of, in particular for me, of anxiety is me worrying about things I've done or worrying about things that are coming up, like in the future. So um, I used to constantly be thinking like about things that had happened and worrying about them or, you know, things that were coming up and I was thinking, oh, how am I going to deal with this? Whereas having a kid, having a baby, he kind of makes you be here and now. So like, I, I haven't had time to worry about what's coming up or, you know, what's happened. It's everything's now. So, that's that's really helped me in a way because it's like I, I think about that a lot when I'm meditating, you know, being like in right here, right now and not worrying about future or past. And um yeah, having a baby has definitely helped me kind of be in that place. So it's almost almost like a per- perfect time you've had in a way, isn't it? Like three months of being present with yeah. with uh, with your baby is yeah, like you say, that's definitely. like that people people never get that. Um, no, no, no. I mean, and it's hard, like mine a little bit older, like two and a half. So right. it's, it's like the the pretty wild, obviously being twins <laughs> as well. But but like yeah, yeah. sometimes it's frustrating when you know when like you see is that you try and obviously leave your phone to one side. But I think finding like 
towards like sort of the end of lockdown, things like that, getting involved with work when you're in the house or trying to work yeah. when they're there trying to talk to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And you feel really guilty about it because you're like, I'm not being present and you know you're not. And I'm, I, obviously yeah, it's not, yeah. not a bit of a mad situation to be in, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. 24-7 <laughs> lockdown. Definitely. But, but then like when you just, they only have to do something funny and it kind of just puts you back in the thing and then, by the time in bed, you think, well, man, I, I've seen them grow up yeah. so much in, in that time. And now they're kind of like, it's the opposite now. They're kind of like, because I'm starting to sort of filter yeah. back into work, they, they, they're getting really upset now when I leave the house. Right. Oh. <laughs> because they're aware. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but again, it, like, it goes back to what we're saying before in like how much learned behavior you get from things so we were talking about how much of this are they going to remember and they yeah, are yeah, yeah. three and yeah. then are they going to remember more because i don't know what was your fair my i can remember one a few images of when i was like oh, two and a half three but then yeah. we were you know i'm 37 in a similar age yeah we, we didn't have imagery or social media like we're saying or any video no, no. whereas these are going to be able to go back and be I'm able to yeah, and is that going to trigger stuff that they're going to remember stuff much earlier than we did? I yeah. find it really interesting that because I'm thinking like, are they going to remember people walking around in masks and is that going to affect them? And all yeah. the questions that you, you, you don't know, but then it, it, you're taking burdens on again, aren't you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, just, I think um, it, we were talking about this, me and Jenny. It's a tough one because we've got friends that have got kids probably around the same age as, as, as yours. And, uh, we were saying, you know, what, what what is the best way to do it? Do you tell them, like, you know, there's an illness going around and you mm. could get sick, so that's why you can't go by people, or do you tell them that, you know, what what do you tell young kids? And it is such a tough decision, isn't it? Because um, we were saying that how how is that going to affect, you know, them feeling comfortable going to to people after this is all after this is all over? Because you think, is this going to affect the development? Are they going to remember? You know, why yeah. is the nursery closed? I mean, we, we didn't we didn't tell them. They kind of they just if they ask question, just go. Oh, we just said, oh, you know, things are just closed for a bit now. Just, yeah, yeah. And they just seem to be all right with it. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It'd be worse if they're just slightly older. I don't know. But kids seem to just yeah, take possibly, it in the stride. Yeah. Maybe. I, I can I can remember probably as far back as maybe four four years old. Um, not nothing massive, but. You know, I remember little bits and bobs. And like you were saying before, like it's funny because we had photographs out recently um, looking out to see how much River looks like me or Jen or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And like I was looking back at these photos and I was thinking, bloody hell, I actually remember like, you know, I had, there was one I had a little dressing gown on. I said, I remember that dressing gown. And like I was probably three or four in the photograph and little things like that, I, you know, they can spark memories. So like you're saying there, you know, if you go back to this time, um, it, it'll definitely, you know, remind them of, of this time. Yeah, for sure. But then, like you say, we'll find out the fallout of it. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah, and it yeah. probably needs to be spoken about yeah. and not brushed under the carpet because Definitely, yeah, yeah. otherwise, yeah, it's, yeah, I suppose it relates to what we're saying. It's, it, it's interesting, like, you said, again, you kind of see the world in a different light when you see, you're looking at the, the young kids and yeah. how that is. I mean, I know, I know a couple of people who foster kid and they say that, um, they've they've done a lot. That a lot. If you take them after two, there's yeah. not a lot you can do to change them. 
it's oh, right, okay. so for the first two years set a lot of the precedents for how they're going to be for the rest of their life where you can oh, right. you can yeah so i mad that and they go on courses yeah, about yeah. that and how you how you kind of deal with that i found yeah, yeah. when i heard that, i was like nah but then yeah, yeah. yeah i've talked to other people who seem to say that's what it is but yeah, that, it's that you, yeah it's mad isn't it yeah, 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 yeah. But like you yeah. say, I mean, it's just how much you're getting affected. It, it, it's just it's very interesting, but I think it's a yeah. good thing to be aware of. Um, Definitely, yeah, it is. What, uh, would you would you meditate every day or do you try? To? Yeah, so I started. Um, someone recommended Headspace to me ages ago, and I, I got Headspace, and I was using that the app, and then I, I got the Calm app as well. Yeah. I was using Calm, and then. The past, I'd say, six months to a year, I've I've kind of taught myself to meditate, um, just non-guided, you know, non-guided meditation. So I'll just have some music on, and I can I, I usually try and do half an hour, twenty minutes to half an hour a day, um, and yeah, I can get myself, I can get myself really relaxed now, and I can get myself in a really good headspace just from, um, like you were saying before, just categorizing things and mm. you know putting stuff that doesn't matter out of the way and um and just being like being in the present really but uh again meditation is another thing like we were saying about mental health you know meditation i've mentioned to a few clients to try it and they've been like oh is that where you sit down like <laughs> on, you know <laughs> people people don't understand that you know you can meditate on the bus or you can yeah you can, one of my mates he does headspace when he's jogging Um there's a there's like a an active headspace that you can do and you can't, right. you, you can't your steps when you're jogging and stuff. And he said that's really good. That works really well for him. Um, so, yeah, you know, once once people realise that it's not sitting around doing that, um, a lot more people have got on board with meditation, I find, and, um, you know, using that as a tool to kind of keep the keep themselves in a good headspace. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's de- definitely becoming more prevalent, isn't it? You know, I, yeah. use, I use the Karma um I do like to do it without, but you know what I have been using on the car map over the <laughs> recently is the the uh, the sleep stories. I don't know if you oh, ever yeah. I, there's a guy called Eric Bra, and he reads okay. sleep stories about trains. That's it. Nice. It's like Siberian train experience or the connect yeah. like different, and it just explains it, and you can hear the train tracks. Me, yeah, yeah. I've been just like wow. <laughs> I'd be honestly be like listening, thinking like, "Wow, this is relaxing, man." And then like, <laughs> then just like the next day, I've been, oh, fucking, I fell asleep again. I was like, just yeah. a proper. <laughs> and then I read something about because it's got a, a Pacific train bit on it, and it's I was reading about like they say how how methodical trains yeah. are to people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mad. I, I forget which one. I listened to. I don't know if it was him. Someone's done one about the Orient Express on the car map. Yeah. And I've listened to that a few times, that, that story, and that's really good. A funny little uh, funny little secret. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I to get myself to sleep, I always used to um, put on like meditation music or something. And I remember I got really bored and I started listening to podcasts, but then I hated the fact that I was falling to sleep like halfway through a podcast and I'd having to go back and listen. So um, I ended up getting into uh, The Arches. <laughs> Jenny yeah. Jen piss, honestly Jen pisses herself laughing at me but That's funny, um, I reckon for the past year I've, I've <laughs> listened to the artists every, every day and um, 
it's funny because my old athletics coach, he was like in his late 50s, early 60s. And I always remember, I think it was four o'clock in the day, it used to be on Radio 4. And he had a gym in his house where we trained and we used to be in the gym. And uh, we had to be quiet for 15 minutes every, you know, every day while he listened to the arches. And uh, I, I never got onto it back then. I just used to laugh at him, uh, laugh at him for listening to it. But yeah, I listen to the arches every night now. And uh, yeah, that, it's 15 minutes and I, it kind of, I can be, I can be falling asleep just as it's ending, which is, which is perfect. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Uh, you're definitely getting old there. That's so darn. Oh, mate. <laughs> pipe, pipe and slippers coming soon. <laughs> pipe and slippers, yeah. I've been getting into gardening, man, recently. And just like, yeah, I was saying about like compost and growing food and all that. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's mad what like floats your boat, doesn't it? When um, oh, things change. Like. That's it. You, you appreciate much more, though, don't you? I find being, you know, isolated. I've been, um, my mum and dad bought me, a, bought me a bird feeder. Like a um, like a big metal thing for the garden, and I've got all like bird food hanging off it and stuff. And uh, I've been obsessed, you know, with trying to get all the birds to come into the garden. And that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Something that I've never really bothered with, but um, yeah, I've become like a little. This this has become like my little thing that I think about every day, like little. trying to get all these birds into the garden. A little sanctuary. It's I think yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's definitely relaxing. Though we bought one the other day actually ourselves. Yeah, but, yeah. It's good in the morning when you come down in it, and it's just. Oh, mate, it's- Incredible. Yeah, but I mean, the, the, the tweeting sounds are all on like the meditation apps, aren't they? And all that. It's definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely linked the nature, yeah. nature definitely. kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I said to Jen, she only has to start worrying when like I buy a set of binoculars or something. <laughs> start <laughs> noting down what birds come into the garden. But I haven't hit that stage yet. I'm just, just at the stage where I'm sitting outside with a cup of tea and watching, <laughs> just watching yeah. the cumber. Um, that's it's good, and like you know, it, it's something that I've grown to appreciate a lot more in the past twelve weeks. You know, little things that you can you take notice of that you just normally take for granted. Yeah, yeah. Do you think what are you going to take out of it then, out of lockdown? Like I was saying before, like you know, time. I think I used to before lockdown. Literally, I'd you know, I'd go, I'd leave the house in the morning, and I, I wouldn't get home till some nights eleven, twelve o'clock. Um, and then I'd be back up early the next morning, straight back into work, and then you know back home at ten o'clock. And um, you know, it, it's although at the time when I'm when I'm in that time, I really love it. I enjoy it. I'm doing something that I really enjoy, and I feel really grateful for it. But yeah, you know, now like we were saying, I've I've got something else to be home for. Obviously, you know, Jen's here and and Rivers here, and I, I want to spend a lot of time with him because um, you know I'm lucky that I've got a job where I can kind of tailor my own time. So. Yeah, lockdowns taught me that I definitely, um, you know, I can, I can work more smart than than uh, than I have been in the past. Yeah, man. And just use use my time a lot better and give myself that time to to spend um, doing what I enjoy more. I think. Yeah. Outside of cutting hair. <laughs> yeah. Well, that yeah, I think a lot of people have, I think, along them them lines for sure, been cooking. Been jumping on you know the sourdough, sourdough, sourdough bread train. <laughs> oh, do, you, do you know what? I haven't. Uh, we, we have been cooking, yeah, because it's a matter of me and Jen. We, we like to eat out a lot, and we didn't realize how much we ate out until lockdown because, like, it got to um, like the second weekend. And, you know, the first week was great. We cooked something different every night. And then the second week, we kind of went back and cooked the same thing again. And then the third week, we were like, 
oh, shit, getting bored of this now. We need to learn to cook some new stuff. Yeah. So then we started trying different little recipes and um, yeah, I I'm, I just constantly compare stuff to, to, you know, there's something about sitting down and having someone bring you that amazing food. Um, I, I really enjoy cooking, to be honest. I'm, out yeah. of me and Jen, I'm probably, I probably enjoy it more, but, um, but yeah, I, I do really miss the fact of, you know, going out and just enjoying food. Um, but yeah, I reckon, I reckon after isolation, um, <laughs> I'll probably <laughs> probably eat out a load and then uh yeah, try and get back into me cooking and just eat out a little bit less. I reckon that's another thing that I've kind of taken from it because I feel like before now I was always kind of chasing something, chasing I don't know money or you know want to live a certain way. Whereas these past three months have taught me that like everything I need and I want is you know I've already got it, so it's pointless like killing yourself trying to trying to work for something that uh, you've already got. We, we eat quite a bit of pasta, probably too much pasta to be honest. But um, I, I quite enjoy pasta, um, like Ital- Italian stuff. Yeah. Um, so at home, yeah, I tend to do that. But um, I've had a, I've had a go a few times. Like normally, we like to watch the Super Bowl, um, and obviously, like I was saying before, I love American food. Yeah. So whenever whenever something like that, like the Super Bowl, or um, even for the derby the other day, Jen got a load of like chicken in, and uh, my dad came round, and you know we cooked some. You cook some American style food for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I always like cooking stuff like that when I'm at home. Yeah. Yeah, man, it's good. Shame about the no crowd though, isn't it? It's not the same with the footy oh, mate, no. It's so weird. No. no. I uh, I turned over and listened to it, you know, without the crowd noise on. Yeah. It's so mad, you can just hear the lads shouting to each other and like, the coaches shouting and stuff. It's uh, it's a weird, weird time. Yeah, it's like, it's like anything, isn't it? Any any sector, it's just not quite. I mean, I just no. I, I didn't feel like a derby to me. I couldn't really watch it. I was I was oh, no. I was a bit like, oh man, this is weird. It really was yeah. weird. It just shows you need the people. People are everything. Yeah, but, you know, yeah, the crowd, the crowds make the atmosphere, don't they? And yeah, say, it was same, that makes the for sure. It's the same with yeah. the city centre, though, isn't it? And it's, it's, without the people in them, they're yeah. not they're not the best places to be. They, they, it's no, no. people that bring the the vibrancy to it. Oh. The nice thing the past couple of weeks has been, obviously, with yourselves being open, Bold Street Coffee. Uh, mm. I've absolutely loved, like, I've been coming over probably twice a week and, you know, just sitting on the little square opposite Bold Street and um, meeting a few of the lads. And it's, it's been such a nice time just to, you know, get out. The weather's been great. Um, and, yeah, it's that's felt a bit normal, you know. Yeah. We haven't done anything normal for 12 weeks and just to be able to come and sit there and people watching, uh, have a little chat, it's been really good. Yeah, people seem to miss, like as I've said a few times on these parts, people seem to miss coffee, going for a coffee more than anything else. Because that that's, you know, bullshit. Sort of, there's so many regulars in there that like yeah, yeah, yeah. you spend time in there maybe a couple hours a day and then you yeah, take yeah. it away and they're like, what, what do we do? Yeah, they don't <laughs> do. Like, it's a really important part of the day. Whereas, yeah. you know, yeah, not only obviously drinking's drinking, it's a bit of a bit different. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. You see different walks of life. It's uh, I find I find a coffee shop element just in any city really interesting. Like how they're becoming more of a kind of like a community hub, especially oh, for younger people as well. To to it's kind of becoming a lot more prevalent. Artisan coffee or bakeries, yeah, that yeah. like back in fashion almost. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, that, like someone asked me. Um, I can't remember what it was. I think I was doing something for a magazine or I was doing something recently and 
someone asked me what a beer was in a barber. And I think I said, um, I'd love to, to own a coffee shop. And I know it's, you know, it's not um, the easiest thing in the world. I know it's kind of, in my eyes, it's like a bit of a glamorous thing because I only get to see it as a client, as a customer. But, um, you know, I, I suppose I'm spoiled in the fact that, the, you know, Bold Street is, is my favourite coffee spot and it's it's got such a good vibe. It's got, like you say, you know, a great um, customer base. And you, yeah. I, I just love going in there and seeing people and, you know, I can go in on my own and I can see someone I know and sit down and chat with them and, I'll, you know, I'll be there for an hour or two. And it's just, uh, yeah, it, like you say, it's like part of that little community, isn't it, you know? Yeah, I used to I used to be like first like saying like blind barber and all that when first city I'd always get a little list on the go. I always yeah. I, and now I look for my coffee shop. I mean I don't really drink these days, but I think I always look for the the coffee shops first. Like where's the yeah, yeah. where's the roasteries? And um, I whenever I'm in London, I always kind of tend to stick around East East London. Yeah, and uh, I'll always pop into Newton and just have a coffee and uh, you know some yeah. scrambled eggs and. I, most of the time I'm on my own but again you know I just love sitting there and, and people watching and uh, like being in that little bustly environment There's, but you yeah. also feel like you're in your own little world as well you know like mm. it's a nice uh, yeah I much prefer like you're saying there I much prefer doing that nowadays to oh, yeah. going out you know get, getting hammered I do enjoy a bevy but um, <laughs> yeah part, part of my day I try and make part of my day most days you know either getting a coffee or yeah. Catching up with people while having a coffee. Yeah, it's true. East London's got some great spots. Have you ever been to Ozone? No, oh, no, no. Check that out next time you're down. They've got an amazing, yeah. amazing roastery downstairs. Um, right. The coffee in there is great. But there's a few. There's That's a few. In, there's a few in East London's good, good, good scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was going to ask in the hospitality industry. Um, so, you know, obviously chefs and. Um, working behind bars and stuff like that, obviously people in um, environments are under a lot of pressure um, or it looks like they're under a lot of pressure when they're doing the work. Yeah. Obviously they, they cope fine with it. You know, you've got to be a certain type of person to be a, a chef or a, you know, a barman or something. But do you, do you know or do you find that people in that industry kind of suffer from any mental health issues or do people get stressed out, you know, through work or? Uh, I think... Um... I think that the that industry in general has got a really bad reputation um for that so people yeah. you know even if it goes to the point of socializing after work or drinking a lot and um I think what it comes down to a lot though I think is the old mentality of <clears throat> it being a low skilled environment for a lot of people yeah, yeah. whereas they might work 60 to 80 hours and that's just expected of them now if you work yeah. 60 to 8 hours in a in a room with no windows that's 35 yeah, yeah. degrees or 40 degrees okay. um you know you can wonder why you know there is through probably quite a lot of chefs suffer from some issues like that um yeah yeah but it's like anything if you're overworked and stuff like that but it kind of i think i've seen that that can get in a routine quite quickly. Whereas, you know, these socialize after work and it can be in the night and then come through the next day. So definitely through that, one thing that we try to, to do is always try and eliminate trying anything over a certain amount. And I think the whole industry has to do that. And it's like you said before yeah, yeah. about, about how long you're working one day. 
in 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 one place um yeah. you know how creative or anything you can be it can be, get affected so it's that it's always been a stigma in the industry and i think it's something that does need to change um actively talking about it people's mentality is shifting though you know what i mean whereas yeah yeah yeah, yeah. especially younger who are creating sort of creative businesses and thought the thought process of kind yeah. of like where your food's coming from, how, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. you know, 25% more people don't drink now. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that maybe that it'll start to shift this old school mentality of like, you've got to work that to, you know, got to work 89 hours a week then. And that's cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's cool. Yeah, like you, yeah, yeah. you know, look, there's all up for grafting when the time is right. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, once it, it, it gets on that thing, it's going to have repercussions down the line. And, and, and you know, like we've said, how long does that rem- remonate with you for years? Um, yeah, yeah. Where it becomes just a, just a habit that you do. Yeah. And I think, like anything, it's good to talk. Talking, like what you've just said, it's our industries kind of um, are quite close in that way because I've worked in barbershops over the years where we were expected to do 25 haircuts a day minimum. Wow. That we had to do 25 haircuts and that was in a you know a nine-hour shift. That that's a ridiculous amount of haircuts. And what one of the things that going forward from when I was in that position going forward, I always said when I open my own business, I'll put a cap on how many haircuts someone can do in a day. And when I I've got obviously my two shops in town, and whenever someone new joins us, I explain to them the fact that no one who works for in Cultural Pete does more than 10 haircuts a day. Um, and people who are new to the to working with us are like, wow, I used to do 10 efforts before I have my lunch. But my whole thing is I want people to come to work, you know, do the work, go home and do something totally different than barbering. I want them to finish the day's work, leave that back there and go and enjoy time with the wife or the kids or the you know boyfriend, whatever. Um, personally, I don't do more than six to eight efforts in a day nowadays. And yeah. I just feel that, you know, that's good for everybody's mental health. If you've got a queue of, you know, 10 people waiting for a haircut and you're stood there chopping away and you look at that queue, I remember vividly being in that position and looking at the queue thinking, shit, I'm not going to get any lunch here. I've, I've literally got to stand in this one spot and cut hair all day. And yeah, that, that was no good for my mind at all. Um, but like you're saying there, you know, restaurants, the likes of yourselves, the people are producing a lot nicer food nowadays and everything's a lot more bespoke. And, mm. um, you know, I can imagine chefs uh, are less, um, well, working in the nicer places, I can imagine the chefs are less pressured, you know, and um, are enjoying what they're cooking and they're enjoying the job a little bit more. What you're doing there, that culture, it stimulates creativity, whereas yeah, yeah. the other way it doesn't. And... This is a thing, and that's why on the other side of the coin, where like with restaurants and hospitality, you get it does get squeezed so much. Um, yeah, yeah. There's so many variables that that affect, especially restaurants. Not not maybe not so much a bar, restaurants where you got so many variables and and just a slight knock. And this is the issue with coronavirus, for example, a slight knock on those profits, and it can put a restaurant out of business within two months. Yeah, yeah. So that can then cause, you know, where people then feel pressured and they would feel and they work 
longer hours to keep the wage yeah. down. So I do think on the other side of it that there needs to be help from from how it was set up. You know how the yeah. how the country's set up with with yeah. you know making independence grow and yeah. pushing pushing it that way. Do you know what I mean? The whole thing needs yeah, refor- yeah. reforming. So uh, hopefully from this something something will and you know this is why they scrap business rates and stuff like that but yeah yeah. i I think um and that's why then people will have to start thinking about things and and maybe maybe there is positives to take out of that but i think you have to create that culture and it has to be careful that it's not too far though you know there is there's it there's a fine line between that culture where was people then some people, I'm not saying everybody, but some people then yeah, yeah, yeah. use that as that they don't have a work ethic. And there's the, it's finding yeah. a balance in this society, which I'll be honest with you, it's very, very difficult. Um, yeah. Because you want to, but you want to create that, that atmosphere. But I do think it, it needs to come from the top, i.e. government level. Yeah. And I think Definitely, we've seen, yeah, yeah. you know, without getting too political, we've seen how much this government puts people first. Which is yeah, yeah. not not a lot a lot um, through this when you see like or that when I go to like I love like Copenhagen and I go through and it's like the thought process of the city and like you know everywhere's biking round and and it's yeah, yeah, people yeah. first whereas you know it seems to like why is it taken we said before you know things to happen for yeah. you know positive things to the positive with. things yeah and they're all linked yeah. to what we're talking about they're all linked to mental health the environment you yeah. live in or where you're walking around um, yeah so hopefully there's change I always like to give any any words of positivity to the audience yeah. I'd just like to say um, like I hope I hope everyone has taken something positive from you know being isolated for 12 weeks um, one of the things like I said before, that I've taken is I've sat down and thought about you know other people and um, like businesses like yourselves. I I hope that coming out of isolation, people understand that you know small businesses um, are only there because people support them. So you know rather than queuing up in a in a two hour queue for Mackey's, yeah, go down somewhere local and you know get a burger from there or go go get food from from your favourite like independent because. I everyone need like independent businesses need everyone's support at this time, so I just really hope that people understand that. And you know, I've I've seen it so much where a small independent restaurant or shop or something shut down, and everyone's on social media saying, "Oh, it's such a shame." But did you really, you know, did you really support that when it was actually there? Um, so yeah, I, that's this is my main thing. So you know, coming out of isolation. My main thing is to is to try and keep independence as possible, and yeah. you know I know it's a little bit more expensive, and I know it's more might feel like more of a luxury, but you know treat yourself once or twice a week rather than you know five days a week, and support the businesses that, that matter to you or support your friends. That's that's another big thing I've seen. You know a lot of people saying like, um, it's so easy for ten of your customers to to put something on their story and tag you in it and say, you know, try this out. And then 10 more people will see that and come and try it out. And little things like supporting independent businesses, um, hopefully after such a horrible time for business owners and that, you know, some positives can come out of it. And yeah, I, I hope to see that. I, I just hope to God that, you know, like there isn't 
a lot of businesses having to close down. Uh, it's it's amazing for me to see our city um, full of so many, you know, in great independence, people doing what they, they really love and they enjoy and, you know, giving, giving things to the city that um, we should be out there enjoying. I couldn't agree more. I think, like, like you say, action will speak louder than words, won't it? So yeah. if, if you're out there... Yeah, don't go on social media and they're like, get out there and actually go to the place, you know what I mean? Don't have yeah, to spend yeah. a lot of money. Get out there and show your face. Yeah, One, get a coffee. Yeah, get a coffee. One <laughs> thing um, I was listening to, to finish on, I was listening to David, um, one of David Chang, you might have seen him. Yeah, yeah. Podcast, and he yeah. described that the high street, like local restaurants, barbers, florists, they are like the cultural banks of yeah, yeah. A, a, a society so without them you don't have anything where people rely on banks for for the money whereas yeah. the cultural banks are if you take them away then you don't, yeah. you don't have anything left it's good that we're talking in this light especially about like barbering and and restaurants and even florists you know you see some great independent florists it's you know yeah yeah, yeah. those lines it's, it's it's good to see man uh, and um, yeah look i really appreciate your time coming on and and mate i wish you i don't think you need it but i just wish you all the best then moving forward oh and mate it's, it's been a pleasure as i said thanks thanks for having me on your special ninth episode and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah there'll be many more to come but as i say it's been nice to sit down and you know and talk to someone um that's you know we found out we've got little things in common and um yeah i just i just hope you guys keep doing what you're doing it's it's great to have you in the city like i just mentioned you know having these staple independence in the city I feel like they hold the city together I appreciate that yeah. and I think yeah it's a good way to leave it and yeah like, yeah and thanks very much and Definitely. speak to you soon I'll see you the weekend for the coffee well thanks everyone again for listening and to see more of Pete's journey pictures and his blog go to cutthroatpete.co and his podcasting in the chair is on Apple Podcasts And if you go to his social media, he's got some fantastic photography there also. I'm happy to talk to anyone about any of the issues that we touched on there. So if you want to email me via my website, mattyfarrell.co.uk, or DM me on Fazmangos, that's on Instagram or Twitter. So on the week that lockdown is eased, and those cultural banks that we talked about can start to repair, to open, and look for a future on the other side of this pandemic, we're all going to need to help each other and As he said at the end of the episode, keeping it local will be the key to keeping the diversity on our streets. So I wish everyone out there all the best. Let's keep the conversation flowing. Good luck and speak next week.